Life Audio. The How to Study the Bible podcast is brought to you by BibleStudyTools.com and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith affirming podcasts, visit LifeAudio.com. We will find ourselves far from home all throughout life because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question is when we find ourselves there, what will we do with grace? And the two responses to grace are we can reject it. And that means we're going to continue to rationalize. We're going to continue to bargain. Or we can receive it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible. We are in a series called Stories Jesus Told. And we're looking at some of the parables, particularly in the book of Luke. And I know for me, it's been really illuminating, just eye-opening to remember and to revisit some of these very important and foundational principles that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. So I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for you. I want to ask for your grace as my voice is a little weak. I am having a little bit of a cold, um, nothing too serious, but I always like to make sure that I mention, like, if I seem a little bit out of breath, um, I am recovering from a little bit of tightness in my chest, and um, I'm grateful to be able to do this, and I'm grateful for our producers who help take little uh, bobbles out of our podcast. Just in case you think that I'm really well spoken, I want you to know that there's someone who comes behind the scenes and takes out all the little extra spaces and extra verbal ticks that are totally a part of everyone who communicates. So anyway, but um, I'm deeply happy to be here with you guys and glad to get to share. And I'm looking forward to the next couple weeks. We're going to take two weeks on the next parable, perhaps the most famous parable of all. Do you want to guess which one it is? I can hear you. I know what you've got it, right? Yes. The parable of the prodigal son. This is a story, a Bible story that is so well known. People um, who are not in the faith, people who've never picked up the Bible, um, understand the reference to prodigal son. Many people understand and know the whole story, whether they're in the faith or not. It's so prevalent. It's so widespread. It's such a human and um, just emotional uh, concept, I think, that's captured in it. One of Rembrandt's most famous uh, pictures is a picture of the return of the prodigal son, one of my favorite paintings of all time. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want us to look at this story because we've been revisiting stories, even if they're very familiar to us, and asking God to give us fresh eyes and new insight. And this story has so many different nuances. I want to go ahead and This week, I want us to look at the story through the lost son, the younger son's perspective. And then next week, I want us to look at the story through the older son's perspective. And one of the characters who remains intact, and we'll also look at how the father, who represents uh, God, how the father um, engages with both the younger son and the older son. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, 
crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. We're going to work through our Alive method that we've been using on this podcast and it gives us just a framework and a grounding so that we can observe. And I think particularly asking the question, what does it say when we're in a very familiar passage is really important because it's really easy for our eyes and our minds to just skip over the details because we're like, "Mm, I know the story already. I already know the story. And so we can miss little details within. So we're going to really try to turn on our observation skills and ask God to illuminate this passage for us to help us see it, whether it's because of the tone or a little detail. I want to invite you to imagine what this story would look like and what this story would feel like, particularly through the eyes of the father and through the eyes of the younger son. So I'm going to pick this story up in Luke chapter 15. A little bit of context jumping ahead to the what is the backstory question. Little context. God has, uh, Jesus has just told these stories of the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. He's um, telling these stories of things that people lose in succession. And the final story is called the parable of the lost son. So now we've moved from an animal, from an object, to an actual person, to a person in a family, to a person who is loved. And we all know that families give us all kinds of emotional um, tripwires, right? There's like wonderful things about families and there can be painful and hard things about families. And this story is set in the setting of a family and it's set in the setting of a moment that would be very difficult in a family. That is how we open up. So it says in verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
So let's stop there just so we can kind of go part one, part two. Okay. So in part one, let's pay attention to what this is saying, right? So what's the sequence of events that happens here? The first thing that happens is that the younger son says that he wants his inheritance. Now, anyone who knows anything about inheritance knows that you get an inheritance after your parents or relative that's gifting money to you or property dies. It's after they die that you receive your inheritance. So it was already um, so egregious that this son was asking for his property. In many ways, people would say this is basically him wishing his father dead. He's like, hey, you don't really matter to me and I want to do my own thing. So can I have what you're going to give me now? And interestingly enough, the father does not fight back. He doesn't protest. He just allows it to happen. He allows his son to have his share of the inheritance. That's kind of how we open up the story, right? And it says that after that, he decided that he was going to go off to a distant country. Some would say that although he had already left the family in his heart, now he's leaving the family in his body. He's actually leaving physically. And he takes all that he has, and it says that he goes to a foreign land, and he just squanders all his money, right? He just all of his money on women and wild living or whatever you want to say. He's gone and he lives a, you know, foolish life. And then in that foolish life, he loses all he has. And then circumstances come that he's not prepared for. It says in the story that the country he was in experienced a famine. So now he's got an outside circumstance that's impacting him. And because of his foolishness, because he did not prepare for anything else other than the moment he was in, he finds himself with nothing. And then after he finds himself with nothing, he needs, he's in need, and he tries to get hired to do some work. And it says that he went out into the field to feed pigs. Jewish people would understand pigs are unclean. This would be like so embarrassing. If you can think of what would be just the worst job that you would have to do that would be so dirty and so unsanitary, that's the feeling that Jewish people would have listening to this story. It's like he has had to take the worst of the worst jobs, and he's doing that job, right? And then it says that in that job, even as he is having to deal with this unclean, like very, very um, humble and would have been a humiliating role, it's, he's so hungry that he, would, he almost wants to eat the food the pigs are eating, which is just like unclean on top of unclean. And so this is his experience, right? And then it even goes on to say, okay, so he didn't prepare for the famine. He gets hired to do humiliating work. He's hungry. And then it says, and no one gave him anything. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, this, this idea of like, do you only have friends who are fair weather friends? But this guy who seemed to be able to find people to party with, seemed to be able to find people to squander his money with and while living, when it really comes down to it and he's in need, there's no one there for him. And this isn't even like the main part of the story, but I think, you know, Jesus is kind of setting up for us just some of this like, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. And like what he sowed in his life did not reap goodness. It did not reap righteousness. It did not even reap really relationship when he found him himself in need. And so he comes to his senses. And I love this like moment, right? In verse 17, it says he like came back to himself and he's like, wait a second. I spurned my father. I took this money, but it, I, it would be better to be like my dad treated people who worked on our land better than I'm being treated. So maybe I can go back to him. And then we, we hear the young son rehearsing 
uh, what he plans to say to his father. And it says in verse 18 that he says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Can I be one of your hired servants? So he's got this planned speech. He's not going to ask to be restored. He's going to ask if he can pay back, if he can, if he can just be elevated to the level of a servant. He's not even um, planning to be, be received as a son, to be received back in favor, right? Okay, so that's what we know, right, about the lost son. And I'm wondering, just before we go on, if we skip ahead to kind of like the application part, I'm wondering if there's any piece of this story yet that you can relate to, Uh, whether it's been because you've run far from God in your heart or you've run far from God with your whole life. But there's these moments where maybe in verse 17, we all have moments where we come to our senses and we realize that perhaps we've been stewing in unforgiveness or we've been living with envy growing in our heart or we've we've allowed ourselves to coddle worries in a way that have taken our eyes off of God. And we, we look up, we've been walking down the path of life and we, we look up and we look around and we're like, how did I get so far away from where I meant to be? Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com. Com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. And if you've had one of those far away moments where you realize that you yourself are lost, perhaps you, like the lost son, begin to rationalize what you need to do to get back on the right path. And you think, okay, I'm really going to start going to church now. I'm really going to read my Bible. I'm going to stop all of this sinning I've been doing. I'm just going to pull myself up from my bootstraps. I'm just going to will myself to be back on the good path. And my friends, that is not actually the story of the prodigal son. Let's go on and see what happens as the story continues in verse 20. So he got up, he rationalized, he said, I'm going to ask to be a servant. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't even let him finish his speech. He says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Friends, if you've ever found yourself far off the path and you come to your senses and you begin to rationalize about what you're going to do to be accepted by God again, I want you to think about this story, the idea that the Heavenly Father, the Father in this story, our Heavenly Father is waiting for your return and looking, scanning the horizon for your return. And that in response, when he does see his son, he runs to him. He's filled with compassion for him. I think a lot of us think that God's mad at us when we mess up, that we're going to be punished, that he's going to shake his divine finger in our face. Um, But what an interesting word in this parable that the word compassion is used. Um, Sin is not good. (laughs) Sin does not take us where we want to go. There's this anonymous quote that says, sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, and leaves you worse off than you were before. And when I think about the idea that Jesus tells a story where he paints the father in the story as compassionate when he sees his son, I think this is a perfectly appropriate quote that our Heavenly Father understands that sin is ultimately destructive and that sin always leaves us worse off than we were before. What might have seemed like a good thing, what might have seemed like a good way to go, um, we discover is not a good way to go. And we come to our senses and the Heavenly Father's response to that is not, see, I told you so. It's not condemnation. It's compassion because there is always hurt and there is woundedness, and there's pain, and there's consequences for our sin. And our Father in heaven is compassionate towards us in that way when we come to our senses. What I love about this story is that although the Father ran to the Son when the Son returned to him, the Father didn't run to the Son in the pigsty. He didn't run to a foreign country. He allowed the Son to come to his senses and return to him. And when he did return, he was greeted with generosity with restoration. He was restored in the family. He was celebrated because what had happened to him was seen as a matter of life and death, as a matter of being lost and found. It wasn't seen as a matter of rebellion when he returned. And grace is like that. Grace uh, assaults us with its extravagance, with its mercy, with its what feels like just promiscuous amount of love. Grace assaults us with that. And the question is, when we read a story like this, do I receive myself as the younger son? Do I recognize ways that I can become very far from home? And maybe my far from home behaviors are not like the son, the, the younger son's uh, wild living. Perhaps my far from home behaviors are more like the older son that we'll talk about next week. But regardless, the question really is, what do we do with grace? What do we do with this level of acceptance I know for me, there's there's really only one thing. There's two, well, there's two things we can do. We can reject it and we can continue to rationalize what it means to be a good person. We can continue to negotiate and bargain when we find ourselves um, off the beaten path because we will. We will find ourselves far from home all throughout life because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question is, when we find ourselves there, what will we do with grace? And the two responses to grace are we can reject it And that means we're going to continue to rationalize. We're going to continue to bargain or we can receive it. And if you receive it, you receive it with celebration and with joy. 
Because what this means is that our Heavenly Father is so extravagant with his love, so generous with his mercy, so compassionate in his character, that his response to us is always open arms, no matter how far we've run. Friends, I hope that this is encouraging you to you today, that you might stop for a moment to worship God for who he is, that no matter who you are or who you've been or who you will be, grace is always extended to you. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. Have you ever considered yourself a messenger? I mean, you are called by God, and aren't we all praying the big prayer, Here I am, Lord, send me. So if we put two and two together, you've got a message to deliver, my friend. Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, art to make, or businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. I use my mic like a machete, so if you don't like to get your toes stepped on or pushed off cliffs to finally jump on in with Jesus, I may be too much for you. But if you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, search and follow the Messenger Movement Podcast on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com today.